Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 26, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Peter gets Jesus on the side, he puts his arm around him, you know, and he says, Jesus, you know, you know, I, I, I hear you saying, you know, that all of us gonna gonna stumble and stuff in Jesus, but you know, and I wouldn't be surprised, and it wouldn't surprise me at least bit if one of those guys stumbles. Peter would say, Jesus, me and you, we go back. I mean, we've been through some stuff together. And you know, Jesus, I'm tough. I'm gonna stand and fight. But you know, Jesus, they're gonna have to come through me to get to you. Jesus, you know, maybe them, but not me. And Jesus says, Peter, 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 before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. Did you notice Peter's arguing with the word? Self-confidence, you will find yourself arguing with the word. Do you know people are still arguing with the word today? No one say amen. Nobody say amen. But people still argue with the word today. And people are still arguing over the word today. Here it is 2,000 years later, and people are still trying to rewrite the Bible, arguing with the word of God. Listen to this. I found this, this story, and you can get it online. I can give you a copy. Listen to this. Talking about arguing with the word and arguing with the Bible. New Bible shows. Are y'all ready for this? New Bible shows Christ as a woman, God as female. Publication in response to empowerment of women in society. Washington, May 31st, PR, PR Newswire. A new edition of the Gospels of the Bible for the first time. In other words, no, nobody's ever seen this before. This is a new edition nobody's ever seen before. You know what I tell people all the time? If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Well, these guys, they say a new edition of the Gospels of the Bible for the first time shows Christ as a woman named Judith Christ of Nazareth. And God is female. In all other respects, the classic texts of the Gospels remain unchanged. The publisher, LBI Institute, has released this new Bible entitled Judith Christ of Nazareth. The Gospels of the Bible corrected to reflect that Christ was a woman extracted from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Bible is available in bookstores online. This long-awaited revision, awaited by who? Long-awaited revision text of the Gospels makes the moral message of Christ more accessible to many and more illuminating to all, says Billy Shakespeare. She's a woman, vice president for the publisher. It's empowering. We published this new Bible to acknowledge the rise of women in society. This new Bible includes the parable of the prodigal daughter, the lady's prayer, and other revised favorite passages such as her birth, Luke 2, 4, and Joseph went to Bethlehem to be enrolled with Mary, his wife, who was then pregnant. 
And she brought forth her firstborn child, and you guessed it, her name was chosen to be Judith. Her crucifixion, John 19, 17, and she bearing her cross went forth. There they crucified Judith. Her resurrection, Matthew 28, 1, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb, but the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Judith who was crucified. She is not here. She is risen. Lord, I can't even say what I'm thinking. Thank you. This is crazy. People arguing with the word of God in self-confidence, thinking they know more than God. Listen, it is a mistake to argue with the word of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, what saints? Take heed lest he fall. You know how many people say, and I've heard them say, oh, I would never do that. You ever heard somebody say, I would never do that? Listen, never say never. Never say never. You know why? Because when you say I would never do that, you're putting confidence in your flesh. The Bible says take heed when you think you stand lest you fall. Never say never. What you ought to say is by the grace of God, I will never do that. I want to stay close to God so I never do that. But never put confidence in the flesh. Never say never. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride comes before destruction. You know, it makes me think of the Titanic. Remember, they boasted that even God himself could not sink this ship. And fifteen hundred and two people perished that night. You know, someone once said, few people need voice lessons to sing their own praises. Isn't that true? You know, I saw a restaurant sign one time I was traveling in Atlanta. And this restaurant was featuring fried chicken. And it had a sign that read, if the colonel had our chicken recipe, he'd be a general. (laughs) The arrogance of some people. Boasting about themselves, singing their own praises. Be careful. Saints, be careful. Peter was boasting, even if all will, I will never stumble because of you, Lord. I will never. You see, when you begin to think you're strong enough to handle temptation and trials of your life, you're destined to fall. You see, Peter wasn't listening. He was arguing with the word of God. You see, self-confidence also keeps you from listening. How many times have we talked to people and you're trying to share something with them and they say, oh, I know, I know, I know. You know, but, 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 you know, this is that. Oh, yeah, 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 I know, I know. Yeah, but, you know, you might want to think about this. Oh, I know that. We we all know people like that. They know everything. It's like, is there anything you don't know? No, I know, I know. (laughs) You know everything. Pride, self-confidence keeps you from listening. Self-confidence keeps you from listening. Jesus tried to warn Peter, but he wouldn't listen. And if he would have listened, he wouldn't have denied the Lord. Look at our point number two. Self-confidence leads to disobedience to the word of God. Look at verse 36, if you will. And if you're with me, say amen. amen. Then Jesus came in verse 36 with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him his buddies, Peter and James and John, the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to 
Be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them in verse 38, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even till death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further. Would you circle that? I like that. I love that. Jesus went a little further. I love that because Jesus always goes a little further. And so he fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then in verse 40, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? It's almost like Jesus saying, Peter, die. Hey, could you just stay awake? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. Hey, read that with me. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. And again, a second time in verse 42, he went away and he prayed and he said, Oh, my father, this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it. Your will be done. And he came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Isn't that how it always is when you're in prayer? Your eyes get heavy. You know, you watch a movie, you're wide open. You start praying, your eyes get heavy. You got bricks on your eyes. And so he left them in verse 40, and he went away again, and he prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Stop right there. Give me your attention. Peter is self-confident and arguing with the Lord, and now we see him disobeying the Lord. Did you notice he was sleeping when he should have been praying? Now, you got to understand something here. The agony in the Garden of Gethsemane is a very important moment in the life of Jesus. It's so important that it's recorded for us in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this story. Jesus gets into the Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means olive press. Or oil press. He gets into the garden with the twelve to pray. This is the place that the olives were pressed and ground up to make oil. So he gets with the twelve to pray in the, olive, in the garden of Gethsemane. And then Jesus takes his buddies, Peter, James, and John, and he said, stay here and pray with me. And I love that. I love the fact that he took Peter. Did you notice that? He took Peter. He includes Peter in the inner circle, even though he knows that Peter is going to deny him. He still loves Peter. He says, Peter, I love you. Come with me. And Jesus went further into the garden and began to talk to the father. And he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The cup that he is talking about is not a normal cup. You know that. He's talking about the cup of suffering. Jesus is talking about the cup of the crucifixion. See, you got to understand something. Jesus did not want to go to the cross. Do you understand that Jesus did not want to suffer? He did not want to die on the cross. Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way that men can be saved other than me going to the cross, then Lord, let's go that way. God, let's go that way because I don't want to suffer. Let this cup pass from me. That's what he's saying. Father, if there's any way, Lord, Father, if there's any way people can be saved by going to church, then let's go with that. Father, if there's any way for people to be saved, 
If they tithe enough money, then let's go with that. Lord, if there's any way, if they can give enough turkeys during Thanksgiving and help a lot of people and be good people in order to be saved, then God, let's go with that. But do you understand that the very fact that Jesus went to the cross by the very fact that he actually did suffer, die, and was buried and rose again. By that very fact is an indication to us that there was no other way for men to be saved except through the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if there had been another way, Jesus would have said, Jesus said, Father, let's go with that, and the Father would have went with that. You understand? Say amen. If there was any other way, there, there was no other way. That the father gave his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. That was the only way for men to be saved. And so Jesus went to the cross. Jesus suffered on the cross. Jesus died on the cross that men might be saved. And that's why when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the father but by me, that's what he means. Because he's the only way. The only way, the cross way, the cross doing the will of God. You know what? You know what that teaches us? Doing the will of God sometimes is very difficult. Doing God's will oftentimes involves a cross just like Jesus. You know, sometimes people think that if they become a Christian, everything's going to go great. They do. I've had people say to me, you know, Pastor Ronnie, since I became a Christian, everything just went terrible. Rodney, I thought everything was going to get better when I became a Christian. As soon as I became a Christian, my life fell apart. And I go, yeah, that's usually how it works. It does. Yep. Because Satan knows you're a Christian now. Now he's trying to thwart you and trying to hurt you and trying to deceive you and trying to get you off track. Some people think that when they become a Christian, you know, everything's going to be beautiful. My car will always start. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll never have a flat tire again. Now that I'm a Christian, I will make all the green lights. You know, I'll never get stuck. in people think this, I'll never get stuck in traffic again now that I'm a Christian. The faucet will never leak. My kids will be perfect. Not. The sun will always shine and the wind will always be at my back. Why? Because I'm a Christian. People think that. It does not work that way. Amen, saints? Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. You know, that's a promise verse in the Bible. You're like, yeah, and I want nothing to do with that promise, right? (laughs) Put some distance between me and that promise. And that is a promise. We quote all the promises in the Bible. and You know, I'm blessed going in, blessed going out. My prosperity, we could claim all these, we claim all these promises. Well, how about claiming this one? In this world, you shall have tribulation. Claim that. Speak it. (laughs) But then Jesus goes on to say what? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You see, in this world, we're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. But we need to be willing to say, like Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Doesn't it beg the question, are you willing to do God's will? Ask yourself right now, in your spirit, in your heart, are you willing to do God's will? Are you willing to be obedient to the word? Are you willing? 
Are you willing to say, God, you know what? I'll, I'll give to you whatever you ask. I'll give of my finances. God, I'm willing to obey your word. God, I am willing to 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 be committed to my marriage. And God, I am willing not to go through with that divorce. That's a word for someone here today. I'm willing not to go through with that divorce because I realize what that divorce will do to me, do to my husband. God, do to you. Lord, do to my kids. I'm out in Southern California last week and preaching in a church in Calvary Chapel. And, uh, and uh, you, you guys know that I was out last week. And uh, it was a wonderful service. And, and I preached on dealing with doubt. And after service, I guess this young girl must have been about 13 years old. And she came up to me. She was cute as she wanted to be. She had a little hat on. I like hats. She had a little hat on, a little pigtail. She was so cute. And she walked up to me and she said, Pastor Rodney, I really enjoyed your sermon. Thank you. She was very mature. You know, I really enjoyed your sermon. Thank you so much. And she said, I just came up to ask you if you would pray for me. I said, why? She said, I said, I'd love to pray for you. She, I said, why? How can I pray for you? And she said, my mom and my stepdad are now getting a divorce. And my mom divorced my real dad some years ago, and now she's getting a divorce from my dad, and that really hurts me. And they're both Christians, and now they go to different churches, she said. We go to different churches. Uh-uh. Are you willing to say, God, not my flesh, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, this is what you got to say. I got to move on. But you just got to, you, you know, following Jesus means carrying your cross like he did. Following Jesus means saying, Father, this is suffering for me, but I am willing. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. Just because we live in America and eat hot pie and hot dogs and watch the game and we got in Christ we trust on our money and God we trust on our money does not make us Christian. What makes us Christian is when we say, not my will, but thy will be done. What makes us Christians when we say, Lord, I'm going to mortify the deeds of my flesh. I'm going to kill my flesh that I might live unto God and do what God has called me to do. This is what makes you a Christian, not because you say it, but because you live it and you carry your cross like Jesus did. Amen. That's all right. You can't, like he did. And, and two of people, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Well, are you living for him? Are you willing to do what Jesus did? He said, Father, it ain't about me. It's about you and your plan and your purpose. Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. Are you willing to say that? You know, someone once said this, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. I love that verse. So Jesus asked him to watch him pray, and he was sleeping and snoring. Did you notice that? And, and Jesus said, you see, when, when you're self-confident, you know what? When you're self-confident, you don't need to pray. You don't feel you need to pray. When you're self-confident, I don't need to pray. I'm strong, Lord. I got this. Well, then in verse 41, Jesus said, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that true? Oftentimes our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And because our spirit is willing and our flesh is weak and we don't pray, we find ourselves the victim of temptation versus the victor over 
temptation. We need to watch and we need to pray because we're wrestling against not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness. Amen, saints? And then finally, our last and final point in verse 47 through 56. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus. He, Judas, went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they took him. And then suddenly one of those who were with him stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Hey, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You live by the gun, you die by the gun. Or do you think that I came not, that I cannot now pray to the Father and he'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? And in that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you didn't seize me then. But all this was done. Why? That the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And how sad is this? All the disciples forsook him, and then they fled. Just briefly and quickly, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas and a great multitude of soldiers come to arrest him. And John tells us that Judas came with 600 soldiers. I mean, 600 soldiers, they come to get the meekest man on earth. Go figure that. And so Judas walks up and he says, Jesus, and he he said to Jesus, he greets him and says, Rabbi, and then he kissed him. The Greek language means that it literally indicates that he kissed him like over and over and over and over again. Like, oh, why? Well, I think, number one, he was doing it to distract him so the soldiers could take him. And then secondly, he was kissing him to identify him. Because you got to understand, there was nothing identifiable about Jesus. I mean, really, Jesus was a common guy. He didn't stand out in the audience. He didn't glow (laughs) or, you know, travel in stereo. You know, people, you know, movies, movies. Jesus walk around. You always hear music in the background, angelic music. You know, Jesus walk. He didn't glow. He didn't. Look pleasant all the time. You really couldn't identify him. So Judas walks up and kisses him, which is a very common practice in that culture. Very common. Even today in the Middle East, men kiss men. I remember here at service one time, a guy came up and said, Pastor Rodney, it was a great service. And, and, and he was, you know, we shake hands and kind of hug lightly, fellas. We love, we, fellas, we, we kind of go, yeah. You know what I mean? This guy, he kissed me. Like, like right there. I was like, oh, look, man. I ain't going out like that. Yeah. Wait a minute, I, I ain't like that. But back up off me. And, uh, but then, oh yeah, 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 you're from another culture. That's right, okay, all right, then it's fine. But that's how they greet each other in, in, in other cultures. And Jesus then, and did you notice Jesus said in verse 50, Jesus said in verse 50, he called him friend. Did you see that? Man, I could think of a lot of other names to call him. Uh, you vilest of mankind, son of perdition, you kissing thief, you backstabbing betrayer. But Jesus called him friend because Jesus loved him. And then they come to get him. And John tells us Peter woke up. He took out his sword and he cut off a guy's ear by the name of Malchus. I think Peter was going for the head. 
but because he's a fisherman and not a swordsman, he missed. And he cut off this guy's ear. And Jesus said, Peter, put your sword away. And Jesus picked up the man's ear and he healed the man. The last miracle that Jesus did in the Bible was to heal this man. Peter, put your sword away. Put your self-confidence away. Peter, don't you know I could pray to the Father and he would send 12 legions. That would be 72,000 angels. You see, Peter, you don't have to defend me. That's what Jesus would say. And I think we're reaching maturity when we realize we don't have to defend Jesus. You don't have to defend the word of God. In closing, I like what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. He said this, talking about defending the word. He said, someone asked him, how do you defend the Bible, sir? And Spurgeon said, well, let me ask you a question. How do you defend the lion? He said, you open the cage and let him out. You don't defend the lion. You just open the cage and let him out. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.